everybody. Welcome back to PC Perspective, The Next Generation, Season 2. Some of you will get that. Oh, it is, uh, it is Season 2, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm Jim Tannis. Mm-hmm. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Sebastian Pete. We're not really going in, in order. I'm looking at the screen mm-hmm. here. But... Yeah, we should. Uh, I'm Brett Van Spruenberg, and uh, I don't tweet. And he doesn't tweet. And I neglected Charlie, to mention... Charlie, don't tweet. This is episode 587, being recorded on a Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. So here's uh, the thing, the the FPU, the FPU was integrated with that series of of chips, the fifth generation, whether it was from AMD, Cirrix, Intel. So you didn't have a coprocessor anymore. I mean, you kind of still kind of had it with the 486 because the 486SX didn't have a floating point. No. So you could buy DX a floating did. point chip. What's that? The DX, DX did. Did. yes, you are, yeah. you are you're absolutely correct. And then Pentium, of course, had had that um, you know kind oh, of one and what a did half they call that thing? Stage thing. Super it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fully pipeline floating point. And yeah. uh yeah, and AMD, their K six, it was it was it was not fully pipeline, but it was extremely low latency. Mm. And uh, yeah, very low. Was, uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't great for gaming. Uh, it wasn't great altogether for a lot of stuff. But it was low <laughs> latency. I bet you don't have an FP coprocessor by your desk. Three eighty seven, five eighty seven. No, I actually, you no, know, I've no. never had a coprocessor. Did they sell five eighty seven coprocessors? Or I don't you know. said it was, and they already had no. them integrated. No, they yeah, didn't. it wasn't no. any five eighty seven. I, I had the them for Motorola stuff. I had them for the Motorola CPUs, so a few oh, of them. Yeah, but yep. Motorola crap. Well, the, bit, the bits were in the right order. All right, so there. <laughs> well, <laughs> little Indian, Indian, little Indian, little Indian. Yeah, I'll tell you where you can yeah. stick that little Indian. Speaking I like big ends, and I cannot lie. Speaking of Jim, crap, now's, now's the time. Put up welcome, the sign. <laughs> welcome to the show. I told you I don't have the sign. I don't have the disclaimer. Uh, before we proceed jim uh we need to talk to josh uh this is a wednesday we're finally having the podcast on a wednesday josh Mm -hmm. did you have a burger today i did have a burger today it was it was called the popper Mm, it was uh two quarter pound patties so a half pound of of beef uh cream cheese candied jalapenos and a raspberry chipotle sauce with a brioche bun i have one question I like the idea of the candied jalapenos because it offsets mm-hmm. the, the hotness of the jalapeno. Yeah. Now, what was the chipotle sauce again? It was another raspberry chipotle. Right. So, was it did was it too sweet? Do you think was it just right? No, no, no. And it was just it, it, it was that a little bit of that raspberry sweetness, but at the same time the the raspberry tartness, and so it mm-hmm. offset it uh, nicely with kind of the acid, and and it was a very well balanced burger, and you could still actually taste the beef. Which is is nice because that's why you order a burger. Yeah, it wasn't just you know that that flavor wasn't covered up by everything else. It all just you know played nicely against each other, and it was a very filling, fulfilling mm-hmm. burger, and well worth the uh, nine dollars I paid for it. Any uh, any fry topper? Or did you just go raw with those? What fry? Any ketchup? Anything on the fries? Or did you just kind of uh, just, just just some just some ketchup? It's some there's a fancy ketchup. Stuff. Was it fancy mm-hmm. ketchup? It was fancy ketchup. In fact, uh, okay. all right. You know, I don't know what the hell makes fancy ketchup. People said uh, it comes in a bottle, but I proved them wrong by showing them the fancy ketchup packets. Mm-hmm. So 
So, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's like mayonnaise versus aioli. It's the same thing, just just there's extra crap in it. Right. Well. But let's not get mm. into tapas, okay? This is a oh, tech yeah. podcast, no. if you're new to this. <laughs> oh, no, but, it, but Jim, it's it's a... It's a semi-personality-driven tech podcast. Well, so. that, that's true. That's true. And it's a variety a show. Yes. All yeah. rolled into like a like a ho-ho. A veritable <laughs> cornucopia of opinions and thoughts. Wait, does that make Jim the cream filling since he's in the middle? Oh, that's awful. Yeah. I mean, sure. I am. I am 78% cream, cream filling. <laughs> okay. This is why people tune in. This is yes. the reason. Well, hey, and, you, and a great reason to tune into the video version is so that you can see Jim's location this week, which. Yeah, uh, uh, yes, I'm in a yeah, new location. Uh, Spatula City. Uh, I'm uh, good personal friends with NVIDIA CEO mm-hmm. Jensen Wan, so I uh, let myself into his kitchen. And mm-hmm. uh, so this is where I am now. It's just one of several kitchens in this house. So don't worry. He and his uh, family can still cook and, and eat while we're recording. But uh, thank you very much uh, for the, uh, the uh, invite and letting us film here. So. Does he? Do they it's even great. know that you're there? I know you have a standing invite, but I mean, he has so many kitchens. They might have, have even been on that floor of the house today. So mm-hmm. uh, that's true. I, I I talked to the butler. He let me in. Okay, so at least yeah, somebody. They've got, pe- they've got people for that sort of thing. So yes, I would hope Back. so. Well, anyway, uh, we record these shows live, and if you'd like to join us live, you get a little bit of a pre-show where we're kind of bantering, and then we always uh, have a, or we'll usually have a post-show where we answer some uh, chat questions and things like that. You can head over to uh, pcpro.com slash subscribe, and that will let you know when we go live. We normally record them on a Wednesday or a Thursday night, mostly Thursdays in these days, or, uh, but it's at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, regardless of day. 10 p.m. Eastern, that works out to 2 a.m. Thursday morning UTC. And uh, if you sign up for this this email, uh, it will let you uh, know about an hour or so before we go live, so you never miss a live show. And, uh, of course, if you do miss the show, you want to watch it on demand, Head over to pcpro.com slash podcast. Uh, we have a list of all of the uh, the published, edited podcasts with the sidebar and all that stuff. And uh, there you can get the, uh, the show notes. We have links to the stories we covered, links to the picks of the week, uh, the embedded uh, video player up top, and aud- embedded audio player there, as well as links to the RSS feeds and the direct download. And, of course, also a link to our Discord. We have a Discord community. You'll find that invite link there at the podcast show notes page. And uh, head over there. We've got a great community going there and uh, usually gets pretty active during the live recordings as well. So uh, pretty fun uh, over there. Is, over there. And then uh, finally, of course, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can head over to patreon.com slash PCPer. Uh, every penny you spend there goes directly to operating the site. So we really appreciate it. And of course, we have our little, uh, I don't know what you call it, our, our deal, where if you become a, uh, a new patron, uh, or increase your pledge, uh, send us a message or change your name before you make the, the pledge, and uh, I'll get a notification here, and I'll read out whatever you put in there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so let's jump into the meat of the show this week. Uh, it's finally happened. Uh, Intel's 10th Gen desktop core processors are here. And Sebastian uh, got the uh, review. He got two of the processors, the i9-10900K, which is the top of the line, and the i5-10600K. Uh, so a good mix there between top of the line and more rid- mid-range in that lineup. I know some other sites got the 10700 and a couple lower-end ones. Uh, there's some reviews floating out there, but uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting. I, I The feedback, there's been some surprises, as we'll go into with this product. There's been a lot of stuff that isn't a surprise. Uh, there was 
a feeling that I got from people reacting to the reviews, like on places like Reddit and Twitter, where they were, um, there, there was a sense of shock or disappointment where it was like, again, Intel, you know, the same crap again. And yeah, of course it is. We've known for a year now that these were going to be another Skylake de- derivative. Uh, it's it's kind of where Intel's stuck on their their manufacturing process and, and uh, they're doing the best they can with what they have. And they have made some improvements, like I said, as we'll talk about, but yeah, this is still the same old, same old. It's an iterative approach to a, a problem or as a result of a problem they've had in, in, in uh, uh, shrinking that process. But let's, uh, let's just jump into the, uh, to the review here. Sebastian, lead us uh, in a discussion here. How, what's, what's uh, your impression of these two processors? Well, as you were just saying, I mean, they're, they're, making the most of what they have. Their strategy has shifted. They're not the, you know, they're not the, the dominant force in desktop processors anymore. Although, of course, they move the most units and they're in the most pre-built PCs and laptops and everything. But in the enthusiast side of things that we tend to cover, I think most of our readers are enthusiasts. It's It's been all AMD and it's been pretty much since the Ryzen launch. And if there were still some questions, I think when Ryzen first launched, uh, about the single core performance with Ryzen, and it was a much bigger deficit than it is now between Intel and AMD. Something like 20%, I think, in the 1080p gaming that Intel was very proud of, and that has dwindled significantly down to the point where they're almost at parity. And Intel still has an edge, largely because they have such a, a clock speed advantage right now. So it's it's like a double-edged sword. They only have 14 nanometer. And at this point, they're just calling it 14 nanometer class. I, I know everybody jokes about how many pluses are at the end of it. They dropped the pluses after the first two, I think. And whatever, we don't have architectural information about it is another point about this review. It, they have not shared that yet. So if and when they go into a deep dive on 10th gen, we'll have that. But right now we just have the parts. And as you said, we got a Core i9 and a Core i5. I think that's what most people got the same 10th gen review kit that had two processors inside but uh at least one other outlet. i know a non-tech got a, a i7 as well i've not tested one of those but what we're looking at is skylake again it's it's another refresh it's called comet lake this time comet lake s on desktop and they've increased core counts and thread counts the big the big thing is at the top end there's now a 10 core part Whereas last year, the high end was the i9-9900K at eight cores, 16 threads. Now we're at 10 cores, 20 threads. And in addition to this, all of the processors from the i3 up are now hyper-threaded. So there's significant improvement in core counts and thread counts across the board, and they did not raise pricing. So the uh, 1,000 unit price that was announced for, for example, the i9-10900K is identical to the announced pricing of the 9900K. And of course, we'll see how these settle at retail. I don't know if any of you guys have seen one of these for sale anywhere, though, at all. I cannot find a listing on Amazon, and the listing for the i9 on Newegg was pulled yesterday. So just that eBay one. k is a stupid price right now as well. Like Even it's hard to find, let alone the 10900. Uh, Micro Center had some here in Cincinnati the Sharonville store, they had a few. I saw some people tweeting. I don't know how, I don't how, know what, how many, but uh, 5.29. Okay, so yeah. as it should be. Yeah. Well, uh, Right, they, they announced it at 4.88 to 4.99, and then yeah. the actual retail ends up being slightly higher. And 5.29 was, at last report, at least going by Newegg, which generally sells for, you know, the going rate. They don't typically 
price gouge, but they were at 529 for the 9900K two days ago. So this is launching it when it's available for the same price. So you're getting two more cores, four more threads for the same money and higher clocks. We'll talk about the clocks, but the only other significant improvement of note with the CPU other than the thermal velocity boost stuff that we can talk about is memory speed increase. Though how much of an impact that has is debatable. It only went from two 2,666 megahertz to 2,933. And only with the Core i7 and Core i9 parts, I incorrectly assumed it was all of the i-series parts. But of course, Core i5 and Core i3 were left behind at 2,666 to help with product segmentation, which will make more sense when you look at charts and see how close in performance the 10600K can be at six cores, eight or six cores, 12 threads. But it's uh, the, the big story though, isn't just about clocks. It's going to be about power draw. It's going to be about thermals as it relates to power draw. And then of course it's a new socket. So this is not just a CPU launch. It's a platform launch. Obviously, Platform talk has been in the tech news for the last few days for another, you know, reason. But do you guys think it's a big deal that without an architecture uh, change or a process node change that Intel is requiring you to purchase a new platform for 10th gen? Well, that's, I mean, whether it's a big deal in the sense that AMD has been relatively liberal in that sense, but this is par for the course for Intel. They're, that's yeah, it's how it goes. One every one or two years, you've got to buy a new motherboard. It they are moving up to LGA twelve hundred now from eleven fifty one. So there are more pins, and the thought is that there's you know the need for additional power delivery, and the old platforms were not necessarily up to spec. So regardless of the reason. They're getting you on a Z490 board if you're an early adopter of this. H470. Well, plus, they, and- they kind of cure things in that, you know, they're sewing the market with motherboards that will support PCI 4.0 when it comes out eventually with the next generation whiskey. Whiskey-like? I can't remember. Too many. Uh, I complain about that. Rocket. No, Rocket Lake. Satan Lake? Rocket Lake. No, Rocket Lake. Whiskey Rocket, Lake was Rocket their Lake and- uh, yes. H-Gen mobile platform. Oh, man. Yeah. I can't remember. But I mean, because we know these more mystery. memorable. Go ahead, Jeremy. <laughs> oh God, they don't make it more memorable. I like forgetting the lakes after a couple of years, or the, the bridges, or the coves, or God knows what else. I uh, know. I was just going to say it, it's because of the mystery of the extra pins and the the, the PCIe four support, which doesn't exist on the chip. We. The, the LGA 1200, you're pretty much guaranteed at least another generation, if not two, which, you know, knock on wood too, because Intel hasn't done that in dog's age. And that would be nice to see. So at least you're not stuck on what, you know, it, I've seen it described as a dead end platform. And to be honest, it is right. The, the current LGA platforms that Intel is selling, you, you're not going to see a new chip for it ever again. You're going to have to accept that as someone who purchases Intel and bite the bullet, jump with a new chip, jump with a new motherboard and some of the new features that you're going to get eventually. Can I talk about quickly the the elephant in the room when it comes to PCA 4.0 and Intel? How many lanes come off of an Intel chip? Ooh. Four for the chipset and then 16 
There's 20 graphics, total, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. DMI three total. Um, and those, yeah. Uh, so how are they going to do M.2 4.0? I know. Without some sort of external chip. Unless the PCH supports it secretly. But well, that would be well, interesting. Theoretically possible. And I've, yeah. I've seen some active cooling on the Z490s so far. So it's not just an X570 oh, there thing is. anymore. Yeah. Yep. A lot of the negatives mm-hmm. on the reviews I read on the motherboards today were, it, yeah, bloody loud active cooling. Hmm. What uh, what was that ASRock one that had the PCIe4 clock and thing? Yeah. They've got a whole page uh, or a section of their page for the Tai Chi devoted to yeah. PCI Express 4.0. And how it's ready for it has an external clock generator ready for it. They have uh, they've put in higher speed switching between the PCIe lanes. They've gone with reinforced. They said they've literally followed every step that they need to be compliant with PCIe 4.0. Though of course, Intel did not release 4.0 with this launch, so it's like they were ready. Intel perhaps held that feature back until the next, uh, like the 11th gen, but the it seems like if you buy a high-end board now, you'll be ready for PCIe 4 later. But but the, they, they've implied the 1200 socket is actually going to be 11th gen capable. I wonder how many of the additional 49 pins were actually for power delivery, and they may have reserved some additional to address the uh, data pin deficiency or the lane deficiency from for PCIe. That's that what was I always my thought. Yeah. That, that would or, make more sense to me. That's one of the differences with high-end desktop. You've got more pins, but there's more platform lanes, more CPU lanes, so more sure. memory channels but too. But once we're met, once some, we're some look at the motherboard guys. They've they've got to throw that crap up there yeah. so we can see what the hell's going on because it's it's not fair to the people who are investing in this platform. And it's kind of funny because it'll probably segue into another thing about not being fair <laughs> to people and promising things. Um, Stop. But. <laughs> Sometimes you tweet marketing that? Tweet it. engineering. Yeah, I know I should. But sometimes marketing and engineering really need to have a hard to hard discussion. And tell these to come out and say, okay, this board, it you know, the chipset will do PCI 4.0, but you've got to have a CPU that'll do it. But we are promising 11th gen, it's going to work, and the whole thing is suddenly automatically going to turn into, you know, you've got all these extra lanes coming from the chipset that are all PCIe 4.0, and you can run your M.2 4.0 stuff. But just just all this beta GSID updates. (laughs) Yeah, no, and, and, you know, and and what that does is it kind of hurts, you know, unlike AMD where it hurt them that they overpromised, Intel is is way, way, way under-promising in terms of what their hardware can do. At least it seems to me that they're kind of sandbagging a bit. And that's not great because people have been thinking, you know what, I on the horizon, there's going to be some fast 4.0 storage coming out from Samsung and other guys, and it's going to be better than the Fizon stuff that's that's out now. And I'd really like to get into it because, you know, maybe I've got games, maybe I've got, you know, some video stuff, maybe I've got it acting as as a scratch drive or whatever the hell they call it for that Adobe crap that everybody uses except me. Um, And these are all things that the extra bandwidth to a large storage uh, pool would be positive for. 
but it 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 drives me a little insane that that Intel's not they're not giving very very much color on the capabilities of of their platform. And so, yeah, it's, it's like the anti AMD right now with under promising and and not even promising anything and just saying here's this platform it'll do PCI 4.0 in the future but we're not going to give you any real idea of the capabilities once the chips drop because all we know is that they've got kind of 20 usable lanes four go to the chipset with their DMI3 uh which is anyway uh yeah it just Let's see what they say. One by 16, two by eight, one by eight, or two by four. So in theory, they can do, you know, a, a PEG slot as it's only going to be by eight, four, which is more than enough for any modern GPU. And uh, they could, you know, they could, they could swap off and do two M.2. That'll be four lanes a piece. So they could do it, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's going to be. It's going to be some interesting motherboard routing and switching, depending on how you install stuff. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a pain in the ass. So, yeah, I think, Intel is not, not, I don't know. Go ahead, Sebastian. I think Gen 4 PCIe takes care of Intel's uh, PCIe lane problem, at least short term. Because, the, for example, we're, we believe that the next generation of NVIDIA graphics cards will be on PCIe 4, and AMDs already are. So while people, you know, typically will never see a benefit of going above eight lanes at Gen 3 on current generation graphics cards, you certainly won't have any problem with eight lanes of Gen 4 since it's double the bandwidth. So, you know, you move an Intel platform today onto PCIe Gen 4 and all the devices support it, you're using half as many lanes for the same bandwidth. So then you've effectively doubled your lanes, at least that's how I think of it. So you could have buy two Gen 4 SSDs with exactly the same throughput as a Gen 3 by 4, for example. Yeah, but again, it, the, the onus kind of falls on the uh, motherboard guys because, you know, they're still going to be enthusiasts who want to have two, you know, buy 16 slots. I mean, they're obviously not electrically buy 16 if you've got two cards plugged in, even though <clears throat> SLI and Crossfire is kind of dead. Uh, some people refuse to to consider that. And then... Yeah, I mean, if you've got two graphics cards in there, you're not going to have off the CPU a Gen 4 by 4 connection to M.2. It's going to go through the chipset. And, I mean, you're going to add a little latency to there if, in fact, the chipset supports 4.0. But they don't tell us these things. And so everybody's kind of left all muddled. And so what are your choices? I'm going to make a bet. And buy an Intel part, or I'm going to save a couple of hundred bucks and buy an AMD, which I know supports this technology right off the bat. Yeah, well, I think Intel, they don't tell us partly because they're not sure yet. I mean, Gen 9 and Gen 10 have had the feeling of being cobbled together out of the circumstances that they have. This wasn't, nothing that has happened in the last three years has been according to plan. Uh, it's all been, <laughs> it's you know. A fear response. Well, yeah, I mean, it's they're doing what oh, no. they can, and and this goes, you know, screw more, the vault, start running, right? <laughs> they uh, weren't supposed to be this good. The reds were never supposed to be this good. That's right. The greens, the greens. Hey, there's the greens too. AMD mm-hmm. CPU is always green. Yeah, reds well, are crap. 
All right. Fair enough. The Reds. Yeah. Well, I'll direct you to the lovers. There's the AMD press branding kit. I'll let you uh, argue with them on that. But probably says red uh, team on the outside of the box. It did at one point. Probably quickly, quickly cover uh, just some basic high level specs, at least with the two CPUs that we reviewed. Mm-hmm. Which clock speed would you refer well, you to? You didn't want to talk another half hour on on me no, on no. the. Uh, well, we we have so much more to talk about. about. PCIe lanes. We could talk about repent. Okay, first of all, no. the new boost. There, it, it, but again, we don't have details. Which one? We're told, yeah, we're, which we're told, which boost? Well, there's two. There's two new boosts. So the regular Turbo Boost, which was 2.0 in the last generation, is now called Turbo Boost 3.0. I'm not sure exactly how this differs. If it's a different number of cores, it's two boosting cores but i don't know if the boost behavior changed one of the interesting things about these new 10th gen processors is that they have per core hyper threading control so your motherboard you'll be able to disable hyper threading on a per core basis which sounds a little odd but when it's explained to you that well you have two performance cores on every chip that are higher performance than the others that mm-hmm. and this using in this new opportunistic boosting algorithm so if you identify for example on mine it was core eight and nine for the i9 so i don't know if it's always core eight and nine but for whatever reason it was and those were the two that were constantly hitting those high boost spikes you can disable hyper threading on your performance cores to theoretically lower latency and then have slightly improved single threaded performance apparently and because you have these extra cores to play with it doesn't hurt you as much to have, for example, it would be eight cores with hyper threading, so 16 threads there, but then two single core, slightly higher clock, single threaded cores. So it's it's just the nuance there is is interesting. I haven't gotten into any overclocking or anything with these yet. And power is going to be a limiting factor unless you're on a board that can support overclocking one of these because power went up 30 watts from the i9 last year, 95 watts. And I know the TDP is basically a joke. At this point, there's no way a 9900K is only 95 watts. It was always a little bit above that. But the TDP is based on the base frequency on all cores. So because these can boost, if you have thermal headroom, you're going to exceed the TDP. And the TDP on these new chips is 125 watts. The reviews out there, uh, our review, I'm just showing the old-fashioned, I have a power meter in between the wall and the test bench. So you have to factor the, like in, it's a gold-rated 1,000-watt power supply, so only 90-some percent is even getting to the system. And then beyond that, there's the overhead of the motherboard and the memory and the graphics card, even though it's at idle and everything else. Even the power from the CPU cooler and the fans, which all adds to this, but power draw was still very high with the Core i9, for example. Well, that's because so, you, you plugged in your, your coffee warmer into the USB while testing this? It sh- it's only... You have one of those. I think it's only a 5-watt warmer, so it didn't... Like, I thought you were using one of those little fan things, you know, the little... <laughs> No, the little USB. We're not going to talk about other USB applications that could be pulling a lot of watts because this is. Oh, oh, it wasn't a fan, is what you're saying. I understand. No, forget it. Look, it got so hot. Pumping dog USB drive. I had to use the USB powered personal (laughs) fan as well. (laughs) Not really. So the boot's hot. You know, it'll hop across your desk. The motherboard melted, but I had. Control has left the building. 
So base base clocks on this up slightly from the Core i9 last year. It goes to 3.7 from 3.6, and boost clocks go to 5.2 gigahertz from 5.0 gigahertz. But the big thing is this TVB, Thermal Velocity Boost, which is a new concept, I think, for people. I believe it was in the mobile parts that have already been released. I want to say that it originated with my wrong gen. Weren't they in 10th gen? Was TVB in 10th gen mobile? I, I forget. Don't... It was in HGTT. I know that. I don't know. Oh, okay. Thermal velocity boost, quoting Intel here, is a feature that opportunistically and automatically increases clock frequency above single and multi-core Intel turbo boost technology frequencies based on how much the processor is operating below its maximum temperature, etc. So it if there's a there's an algorithm. Uh if you have sufficient cooling and power available. It will boost up to 5.3 gigahertz single core on two cores and up to 4.9 gigahertz all core. So that is significant. It's a, it's a big improvement over last year as far as just raw clock speeds. And this is what they have to do. They're increasing the core counts. They're increasing the clock speeds so they can maintain the, a competitive level with what AMD offers. And they're doing it for the same price as last year. So those are the good things. Uh, now, we actually have to look at performance to know exactly how these stack up with AMD parts. Because I did a lot of comparing Intel to Intel, I realized as I was writing this review and doing all the testing. And like, that's, well, really this is, the the big picture is AMD versus Intel. So I had to bring myself back down and, you know, and don't worry, we ran Cinebench, so that, that matters. So if you look at performance numbers, I did, some just basic compute stuff just to try to show single and multi-threaded performance. And so it's nothing special. I'm not using the level of uh, advanced applications that non-tech has moved to, for example. I'm still, it's sort of the plebeian stage, I guess. But Blender, uh, the latest version of Blender, 3900X. And by the way, I did not test the 3950X over again. These are all new benchmarks. I spent the last two or three weeks doing nothing but benchmarking CPUs on the latest motherboard firmware and and drivers and all of that. But I'm trying to keep this to like $500-ish and below for the processors because obviously Ryzen 9 3960X, you get into that $750 range. And then, well, you might as well move up to the 10980XE and put those in there too at $1,000 if you could buy one. But I kept it to 500 or less. And the 3900X is, of course, faster in multi-threaded applications because it has a two-core, four-thread advantage and some very good boost clocks as well. So Blender, a little bit faster with the Ryzen 9. Cinebench, interesting to see Intel take the lead again. I saw other outlets like Digital Foundry, for example. I think they, they recorded a score of 543 or something with Cinebench single core with the new i9-10900K. I average across multiple runs. So my I did get some, I think I got one that was like 541, but it ended up averaging out to 536. Still higher than the 3900X, which was already a very high 529 in that test. If you care about Cinebench single core test scores. But of course, Ryzen 9 wins Cinebench as well. 7106 versus 6379 with the i9. These these are like one and two on the charts until we moved to Geekbench. And Geekbench is a different set of tests. It, it's doing, for example, hardware... Uh, AES decryption, encryption type work, as well as integer and floating point. So the overall score with the i9 was significantly higher single core 
And again, some of that is probably the boost clock because this was definitely boosting up to that theoretical maximum when I did some frequency testing. So 1,444, very high Geekbench 5 single core score. Second place was the i9-9900K from last year at 1,354. And then right behind that was the Ryzen 9 at 1341 so a big single core lead but when you move to multi-thread even though it was in third place with single threaded performance those extra cores add up and ryzen 9 was still number one in geekbench and not by a small number it was like 800 points higher than the core i9 so if you have an application that's well optimized and can take advantage of all available cores and threads amd is still the platform of choice if that's your priority if if productivity and multi-threaded applications are your priority then intel did not take the lead back we'll get into gaming next but just a, a few other tests if you want to look at the site you know, it's pretty much the same story um for example the x264 hd benchmark and i know people don't like this it's a two-pass benchmark but it's still fully multi-threaded and it's a high quality 1080p file being uh encoded and it scales perfectly with cores and threads. As you can see, the first pass is very easy. It's not taxing at all on the CPU, and Intel dominates there. But on the second pass, uh, AMD takes over because it has, again, the core and thread advantage. So we had about 30 seconds faster on this job with the uh, Ryzen 9 versus the Core i9. So I did some clock speed testing and very briefly. And... Uh, I would. I need to go back and do some longer tests because not thinking. Oh, Cinebench, that's fine because I'm I'm using Cinebench for just a quick test of the the uh, load, like the power draw, uh, with all of these processors. And for a lot of the processors that I was testing, because I started with a Core i3 and worked my way up, it's a longer test. It's a couple minutes or more for a multi-core test on on some of the lower end processors, but with these high end processors, it's not even a minute long. And there's a, by default, there's a 56 second duration with standard power limits. So of course, Cinebench only taking about 40 seconds. This is going to perform as high as possible. So we're, we're getting the highest clock speeds we're going to see. It's not realistic over a much longer load. Like I need to do like a, a Blender classroom test or something, which lasts about six to eight minutes with a high-end CPU. But for what it's worth... On single core loads, I absolutely saw spikes up to 5.3 gigahertz. Uh, this particular test, I saw eight spikes. It's opportunistically moving up whenever it sees it has the ability to do so. And then for the most part, it was at 5.1 gigahertz, and it would only drop down to 4.9 gigahertz all core when I moved over to the Cinebench all core test. Again, short test, but we had those initial spikes as it was loading up the test. It went up to 5.3 gigahertz single core. And then as it began the all-core run, it shifted down to 4.9 consistently. And then we had that spike back up to 5.3 at the end as it was presenting the results. So the, the boost behavior, at least theoretically, is as advertised. You will see different results based on whatever your power limit settings are and whatever kind of thermal headroom you have. And I made it clear in the review that I was using a high-performance cooler. I went into this having heard some rumors about how badly this was going to perform with thermals, I was pleasantly surprised because even during Cinebrench all-core runs, I was at a maximum of 63C, and that was in a 22C room. So not bad at all. 
lower than the last generation, in fact. So if you're respecting the power duration limits, uh, the default boost behavior, if you don't have a multi-core enhancement, for example, enabled on your motherboard, which our motherboard had enabled by default, I always have to go in and disable that, then you're not going to see bad thermals at all with these K-series parts. Um, and I, I do cover thermals later in the review, but quickly, if we're at that point, uh, just some gaming Can I just add one small yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still impressed that they're able to do all core 4.9. That's, that's impressive for an extended period of time. I mean, AMD, they, they have their boost clock at the highest end is what, 4.6 and base at four. And when you start running those processors, you, you may see them jump up to 4.5 gigahertz on all core, but then they just, you know, slowly keep backing down and go at about, you know, 4.2, 4.1, depending on, you know, environmental conditions. But sustained 4.9 is, that's some, there's some good engineering in there to get it to that point. I mean, they've there are a lot of trade-offs in the 14 nanometer plus 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 whatever this one is. I can't remember like anything anymore. Uh, but did they ever give die sizes on these? No. So wait. That's going to that. be interesting because, yeah, I mean, like the I. 7 7700k was like 110 if i'm remembering correctly that's a four core eight thread so yeah they've got to start getting these up there because the the regular 14 nanometer is still a more dense product than the 14 plus 14 plus plus 14 plus 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 because to achieve higher level performance and efficiency, they've had to do things at, at a very low level, and they've had to increase the size of some of the uh, the features to get better power efficiency, better switching speed, all that stuff. And so, yeah, it would be uh, pretty interesting to hear what what die sizes have gone to. And as die sizes expand, and they add more transistors, they're still able to keep power mostly under control. And of course. You're going to talk about that soon. Yes. I, we don't have to spend much time on gaming because I did gaming testing the way that we much have to to do CPU reviews to show CPU scaling. So uh, lower settings, 1080p, higher in graphics card, in this case, just an RTX 2080. But it's still a Far Cry 5, for example, slightly older game, older game engine, scales very well, single-threaded. And you have Intel occupying the top six spots with the i9 10900K on top and the 9900K about 10 frames per second behind. So a nice boost, same graphics card, same drivers, everything. Move up to this new CPU and you find out, oh, my even my 9900K was a bottleneck because I'm getting 10 more FPS out of the same graphics card. So that's significant. And that's... Another thing, actually, to, to take note, if you're looking at these charts, the, the Core i5 that we received, the 10600K, this is a heck of a gaming CPU for an, an announced price of 262 to 263 I have not seen it listed anywhere for sale. I'm guessing it's going to be in the 269 to 279 range. It's essentially at the same performance level of the i7-9700K. It, it's within like a frame per second 
of it in gaming tests. And I've, I've seen this corroborated to other outlets. The 10600K kind of steals the show here because it's half the cost, but nearly the same level of performance in games. And that's from a six core 12 thread part, which, you know, I, on paper, it looks like it might be closer to the performance of the older i7-8700K, the Coffee Lake part, which shares its core and thread count, but higher clock speeds, much higher base clock. It's it's a much better performer. And of course, lower TDP, that's uh, only, well, no, it's not lower TDP. I correct myself. No. It's 125 watts. You'd think it would be 95, but both the Core i5 and the Core i9 are listed at 125 watts. But the same, it was the same story with Metro Exodus, more demanding games, not quite the level of scaling we saw, but still Intel in the top six spots, still the, nine, the 10900K on top, and this time the 10600K in second place above uh, a couple of other CPUs, including that 9900K. And then when we get to Dota 2, my lone so-called like competitive gaming tests, uh, much much bigger lead for the 10900K. This game obviously scales very well across multiple threads as well as with higher clock speeds and uh, 306 frames per second in a very challenging uh, team fight match, by the way. Like the the match that I use as the demo following a guide that I link to to make, create a consistent benchmark with a script, it's intense. It's like there's all sorts of stuff going on on the screen. and with a lower end CPU and the same graphics card, like with the Ryzen 3 3100, which is at the bottom of this list, with the RTX 2080, it was 180 frames per second. And with the 10900K at the top of the list, it was 306.5 frames per second. So you definitely will see a benefit if you are specifically looking for the highest FPS you can get. Like if you have a 240 hertz monitor, or if you're a competitive gamer who values just FPS, which is... Think what Intel is targeting when they say that they're the fastest processor for gaming because all their internal testing is, is showing things like Dota and CSGO. So if if that's what you're after, Intel dominates the gaming charts yet again. So that's one thing to consider about these versus AMD, where AMD across the board wins on compute. But power consumption was... Like if, if, yeah, if you're, if you're going to do performance per watt, these are not going to Ooh. win. Mm. So again, I'm going to caution you. This is total system power. And I, th- I think it would be wise to, if you're interested in a better look at the true power draw from just the CPU, check out the Gamers Nexus review because Steve did EPS 12 volt uh, power measurements. I don't know if they're using a meter or some sort of device they've come up with that's like, uh, that goes between like the power supply and the CPU, but the way that he's measuring it, and I don't know how much the CPU might be getting off of just the regular 24-pin, if anything. I would have to read up on the spec, but he was showing only about uh, he, he measured it watts. off the EPS 8-pin. He said EPS rail. Yeah, yeah, so just that rail. So it was 125 yep. off of that rail. So as advertised. But uh, the way I measure things, the old-fashioned way, it was 278 yeah. watts. And I mean the the GPU was pulling less than ten because I used a I use a low power GPU for these power consumption tests. So I switched from the RTX twenty eighty to a GTX sixteen fifty with a zero RPM idle fan. It's drawing like I don't know less than five watts total, maybe maybe less than four. 
And then, you know, memory wasn't even all that high because I only used the stock memory settings for each CPU. So for the, this, it was a 2933 at 1.35 volts. So, and a, a regular SATA SSD, nothing fancy. So, and the USB choice on watts. Well, yeah, yeah but you know, <laughs> a myriad. I mean, the thing you, you really got to get from that is comparing your orange to orange, the the ninety seven hundred versus this. I mean, that's that's a significant jump in power mm-hmm. consumption when you have an identical system under an identical load or ninety nine hundred k. Sorry, not the ninety seven hundred. Ninety seven hundred is even crazier. That's one hundred and ten watts at the. Uh, at the wall that's that's this reminds me very much back in the day of when i was testing a fx 8350 and then i swapped out the cpu to a fx 9590 or 9570 i can't remember 9570 i think and that was the exact same i mean it was a tremendous jump at the wall uh, from one to the other. And the performance was, you know, at the time that that FX 9000 series was about at a 3770K, you know, Intel i7 3770K performance. But yeah, yeah, that's that's still plenty of power uh, that your system is feeling when you plug that thing in and really get it going. And, and wouldn't you think... Yeah, which becomes yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Even Steve's numbers off of that uh, EPS rail, they are really high when he yeah. overclocked the system. So just mm-hmm. it was over three hundred watts, yeah. I think. Uh, anyway, uh, you'd think with all that power, there'd be a huge thermal problem, but it's almost like Intel anticipated this because the the enthusiast parts, the K series parts only, have a new design their their actual integrated heat spreader is thicker they have shaved down the die itself so between that and this uh thin die they call it stim the thin die uh solder thermal interface material so it's it's soldered thick ip uh thick ihs it absolutely does help with heat dissipation it's tremendously improved versus the last generation so this is where the engineering comes in, where it's funny because I think I have a feeling having watched the Linus video yesterday where he the video called I, Why I Still Love Intel. He was talking about engineering just in general terms and how people within the company care quite a bit and why like the sins of a corporation uh, are different if you actually look within the company at the, the people who design things and you are proud of what they've done. But uh this, I'm guessing, is what he was referring to because people are kind of blown away by loads in the low to mid-60s, sustained loads with high core clocks. And it's almost like they've done the work for you, the the, the delitting process that some people go through to get better thermals and higher overclocking headroom with like 7th, 8th, and 9th generation parts. You really don't have to do that with these because... It's such a good implementation of a heat spreader, and I don't know. I, I would need more data to analyze the thermals better and to do some longer sustained loads. And I'd love to see if just a mid-sized air cooler 
can handle these because mm-hmm. I was throwing 280 millimeters of a very high performance liquid cooler with the fans at 100% moving 97, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what is it? CFM and just uh, the pump was at like 5,000 RPM and just, and it, it was unnecessary. The whole thing uh, was far cooler than expected with the Core i5 and the Core i9. So the T junction on these few... is 100C. Sorry. No, it's fine. I was just going to say there were a few people who actually were taking 9900Ks and uh, melting the solder off of them and getting its slightly improved uh, cooling performance. And there was a lot of talk about how even though that they had soldered the that uh, particular CPU, that they didn't quite get it right you know, for thermal uh, dissipation and all that. So is it the increased thermal mass? Is it the reduced size of the die? And I mean, you can go back and look at videos. I think there's even like a Derbaro one where he went and sanded the die in a 9900K and got it uh, some improved thermal performance out of it with uh, liquid mm-hmm. metal after that. But uh, this is the first one that I've seen that I, I would say that sane people should not be tempted to melt the solder off of this one. I think they probably got this one, you know, mashed together about as well as it's going to get. That's my sense of that. Well, Sebastian, you mentioned, well, both of you mentioned like the extreme measures that some people go to and, you know, delitting and stuff. And I've never really delitted, at least not in 10 years. Uh, No, no, we're not, we're not all Jordan, you know, right. Well, from our discord, he delits everything, mm -hmm. but. um, And and I I believe, uh, I think Scott, the show and our staff, I believe he's had some experience with that as well. And Maury, maybe. Maury, yeah, Maury yes, Maury that. did. I think yeah. Maury actually cracked a die once. Uh, he really mm-hmm. did crack some dies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But the, 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 the fun times. The point is, yeah. my understanding of that practice, it does improve things, but this this improvement, this seeming improvement, uh, is significantly greater than what you can expect to receive from, from a standard delitting. Like I'm not dealing with yeah. 900K. The delta is much greater. So, you know, whether it's this, uh, this you know, this new uh, new way of, of uh, adding the uh, the IHS and, and putting it all together, or whether it's additional improvements and in, in power limits, you know, it's. Can I ask one housekeeping question on that on that uh, diagram? Okay. Did we really learn about that on April 30th? Did mm-hmm. Did we actually post news on that? Yeah, yeah we. We posted, posted it prior it. to launch. Yeah. I'm oh, reusing wow. the, the same image yeah. that I posted on the 30th. Wow. I'm where have I been? Well, You've been busy. You know, that, the world, other the, things are going on. It's fine. It's a new that, burger joint that opens every day. Well, I was thinking that might have yeah, been somewhere. when you spilled on your keyboard and had to leave. Oh, 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 been that God. oh I think you're right. You're yep. right. I wasn't paying attention to much, but my keyboard. Yep. And survived. it was patch Thursday. Patch Thursday. Yeah. I kept you busy. Uh, everything everything goes downhill for me. <sighs> you know, okay. we could probably distill yeah. all of the improvements with these down to just the maturity of this 14 nanometer process. Like a fine wine, mm-hmm. it tells 14 nanometer has reached this point where it is it is exquisite. You know, it's it's really mm. something to behold. That could be where these improvements it's are coming from in thermals. Movies. Well, mm-hmm. I, I is mean, it to I the you... point? Oh, is it to the point where you've almost wished that certain companies wouldn't give up on a process too soon? That they may be like, no, no, try harder. You can do it. There's more here. Like, like 28 nanometer HKMG. Yeah. Right. Stay with oh, yeah, it. Yeah, the high key metal game. Stay with it. You can do it. Planner for life. There's more in it. Right. Well, I mean, 
so obviously you're 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 partially being facetious there, but there is something to be said with they've because they've been forced to stick here, they are so yeah, so refined. And if you can contrast that with their 10 nanometer launch uh, with Ice Lake, uh, when we were at the uh, Intel campus for the Ice Lake briefing, and they first they came out and the first slide, the first real slide of of information they showed us was that it was going to be an 18 percent IPC increase, which is huge. I mean, mm-hmm. AMD's uh, proven that to be not so important or not so, you know, they, they've exceeded that as well on their own end. But at the time, it was like 18% gen over gen IPC increase. And then I was sitting after we had, we took a break. We were in the Intel cafeteria and uh, I was talking to, I think it was Paul Alcorn uh, from Tom's and uh, Patrick Kennedy from Serve the Home and another member of our group who I don't want to name because he had been tipping us on some stuff ahead of time. You know, we were, we were sitting there going 18%, geez. And he said, yeah, we'll wait till you see the clocks. And as we know, Ice Lake launched with really poor clocks. And that's, and you know, I think that he may have been semi accurate about that too. Well, he was. I mean, and and so that's, that's the the danger. You've got this really well refined process that they've been stuck on, but that they're really good at versus jumping into 10 nanometer and having all those difficulties and not being able to get the clocks to where they needed to be. Uh, So it is a trade off there. And, and knowing how Intel went bad with their plans many years ago, would you rather them have tried to push a new architecture that wasn't great, that had poor clocks and, and other issues versus this? And, and so I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there. There's, there. there's no way they could have done it. They, they, they could have done that in another era. They could have done that before Zen. That's true. Yeah. When they were just doing these little iterative things. They could have, because at one point, remember Intel had basically, they had an abandoned desktop, but they were definitely from the Haswell era on, we're talking about this sort of mobile first approach. Remember there was a time when Intel was trying to get into phones when Haswell had brought the uh, voltage regulation on board and everything seemed to be going to this more unified, like self-contained, if that's the right term approach where it was like an SOC and it was getting smaller and smaller and more capable, but it was more about efficiency than it was about just raw power. And we had seen just this stagnation where they hit about four gigahertz and never really went any higher and then Zen happens, and then this is this is the third year in a row that Intel has refreshed a Skylake derivative with more clocks, with uh, more cores and higher clocks. That's been the answer because they they haven't been able to transition fast enough to a new process node that also gives them the performance numbers they need. They could be on ten nanometer mm-hmm. right now if we're willing to live at it with a three gigahertz processor. Uh, but we can't, or they can't, because it wouldn't be competitive anymore. So interesting. They, yeah, uh, that's just my feeling on this. Because I mean, you have Ryzen. Yeah, the clocks aren't quite as high, but you still have three point six, four point oh, all the way up to I uh, actually four point seven, which you can occasionally get on a thirty nine fifty X, depending on the load and uh, what your cooling situation is. Uh, but sustained sustained clocks. Uh, on these are very good. They're they're far better than the competition. They're almost a gigahertz faster. When I was doing a lot of uh, uh, folding with all the equipment here before I started shifting over to just retesting all the CPUs and you know put the test benches back into service for that uh, underwater with this uh, Hydro X cooled system back here, a thirty nine fifty X would be somewhere between three point nine and four gigahertz, all cores 
under that sustained folding load when it had a job. So if you look at sustained performance, if you have the power for it, if you have the thermal headroom for it, you can be almost a gigahertz faster than that on Intel. So their their clock speeds are amazing at 14 nanometer, even with the power draw. At some point, you have to start, like enthusiasts, I, I feel like it's it's a fun metric to point to, to mock Intel about because of their power draw. And I'm not an Intel apologist. I'm just saying, yeah, it draws more power. And yeah, it's more expensive per core. But it has the fastest clocks. It's actually got the highest clock speed and thus has the highest single core performance. Whether it has the highest IPC or not, that would be a matter of like clocking them identically and running a bunch of controlled tests to determine that. Intel typically has had the lead in IPC, but they definitely have the lead in clock speeds. They have the lead in gaming still, unless you're gaming at 1440 or above, where you put the majority of the bottleneck on the GPU and the CPU doesn't really matter as much as long as it's powerful enough. But at some point, I did want to mention motherboard pricing, though, because this Z490 launch is interesting because we have motherboards that are averaging high-end desktop pricing. It looks like X299 pricing for a lot of these, where they top out at a... We could, If we take out the very high-end, liquid-cool-ready, like ASRock and Gigabyte boards that are $1,100 and $1,300, then we're looking at boards that go all the way up to $800. The board I tested, I didn't even know this when I was running the benchmarks. I have a ROG Maximus 12 Extreme. That's a $750 motherboard. The medium, like the median seems to be 299. That's kind of your entry level for a high-end board. They, there are boards available all the way down to $149. I do not know all the numbers on those, like what kind of power delivery they have, what if they could even support a Core i9 or not. But I, what did I say in the review? Of, of the 45 available boards on Newegg, 16 were priced at 300 or above. And then... On the low end, 18 of 45 were 200 or less. All the rest of them are right in that two to $300 range, kind of skewing towards $300. So it's not an insignificant investment if you're getting onto this platform. It feels to me like a high-end desktop uh, with a cheaper CPU, kind of like when in the Ivy Lake, or Ivy Lake, Ivy Bridge E era, was, was the 3820 Ivy Bridge? Was it, yeah, there was- I don't know, you was, can- Compare it to the X570 when it was released. Or or compare it to the 10900X. Oh, I just said a dirty word. Oh, Lord. Yeah. (laughs) It's like throwing a stick bomb in the room. I was shocked to see a $600 to $700 AMD board. Why? Yeah. Well, apparently that was where the industry was heading. I don't understand it. I mean, I remember being shell-shocked back in the 6800 ultra days where they offered double the amount of memory of the 6800 ultra. And that was a thousand dollar video card. Nobody had a thousand dollar video card back then. Even the professional stuff was nowhere near that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just bizarre to me that we are seeing now motherboards where it used to be $300. You had everything, but the kitchen sink. And that was the highest end that you got. And then started creeping above. And then, yeah, with, with the, um, the X570 boards, that was the first time I really, I mean, other than, you know, the the really high-end uh, workstation-type boards <clears throat> and the previously mentioned, uh, you know, really super-duper Intel stuff that 
you know, 2000 plus pins, uh, well, LGA grids that we saw a, a desktop board get that high. And it's like, why, why I don't understand. And I still am not entirely sure why. I mean, yeah, they've got like uh saber on, on some of the audio stuff, but seriously, 700 bucks for that. Yep. Seems pricey. Yeah. I, I need to weigh this Maximus board though. It is, it is so heavy that I think if you're, if you're dealing with like, if you're talking about steak, you don't complain when your steak is $18 a pound. If it's the primo stuff and you've got the money to spend. It's gold. It's gold, but Jerry. Gold. How many TR fours does it weigh? Exactly. Ooh, like, how, yeah. I need to figure out, uh, if this motherboard wins on performance per pound, because it is a it's a heavy it's a heavy board. Um, but yeah, I mean the total investment here to get to the tenth gen clocks and the the higher core count definitely don't have to do that on the low end. Uh, if you're buying a Core i three just to get a, a new part with hyper threading that sort of thing, you could probably buy one of those hundred and fifty dollar boards. But that's what, what I would. Be interested to see because of course we generally get sampled whether it's amd or intel with a high-end board for example i was sent that 600 uh, x570 godlike board by amd with the reviewer kit for the zen 2 processors so uh of course intel they sent a high-end board as well uh i have a couple of other boards in though which are in the 300 and i think 370 dollar range nothing below that yet so be interested to see, you know, what the picture looks like with the, especially once H470 comes out, because that'll be a lot more, you would think it'd be a lot more accessible. And then there, of course, there's going to be a B460, I think is the chipset. So definitely some lower end stuff coming, but for now, that's what the picture looks like. This is launching at the high end, launching with uh, just Z490 so far. And availability on those, uh, have you seen... You could pre-order all the boards, but like two yesterday. I haven't seen that today. You can't have one. Remember the old paper launch? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, and I saw there were some comments in our Discord a little bit ago about, you know, why we and others when Zen 3 or Zen 2 launched were critical of the supply and availability. And so why isn't Intel getting that here? And well, they are. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen many articles Personally, about at it, least but, every other week, I make fun of the availability of Intel stuff well, for the last eight sure. months or yes. so. Well, it's Intel's had supply problems for two years now. Yeah. Uh, in terms of boards and other components that you need for your system, the the current economic situation, I'm sure, is ha- having an effect as well. It is pretty much par for the course these days where it, when there's an official launch date, it's not going to be just a simple thing of walking into a micro center or a fries or going on Newegg and being able to get it right away. I mean, a few people will, but we're looking at tight availability for pretty much everything in this industry right now. So, I mean, have you gotten your monitor yet, Jeremy? No. In four days, it will be three months since I ordered it. Wow. Any updates? Is it is it sitting in uh, uh, I now have 5% off my next uh, purchase of Dell equipment. Oh, oh, and you'll be sure to make that they soon. apologize. Uh, but no, it, it still says order confirmed. Uh-huh. We apologize <clears throat> for the delay in the shipping. So that's... If your item hasn't shipped, please contact this email address to find out why. Hmm. Yeah. Which I do, you know, once a month or so, just to say hi. So 
but that's that's what we're facing is limited availability for pretty much everybody and that that does yeah. suck um yep but uh it, it, yeah overall, we saw yeah, we we saw the same thing when when Ryzen launched, and we were complaining about the lack of availability of the 3900X for a while. And then, of course, it took a while for them to kind of meet the demand for the 3950X, even though that's a seven hundred and fifty dollar part. What you're getting for it is significant, and then that became commonly available. And now both of those sell for under their MSRP, so they caught up. But they have TSMC and a smaller percentage of the market. They have a high percentage, very high percentage of the enthusiast market. But I, if you look at any pre-built PC and I was actually looking at Dell a couple days ago to see, because they had put uh, the 10th gen up for sale on their Aurora R11, I think is what it is up to desktop. And I was more looking because of this uh, Ace Tech uh, GPU sidecar liquid cooler thing which is i don't know why but it i find it appealing but yeah those were all up for sale it didn't say pre-order it was just letting you add it to your cart and they had all the 10th gen processors although i don't think they were selling the 10 900k they were doing the f series part which is another thing like if you actually look at the charts of the announced cpus even going back to our news post on this on the april 30th there are like there are variants. There's what, like four Core i9 parts this time. So it it depends on the power, whether or not it's unlocked, whether or not it has graphics on board, uh, whether it's unlocked with no graphics on board. So there's there's different options out there. A lot of SKUs, obviously, but it didn't seem like there was any immediate uh, availability issue, at least if you're buying a pre-built PC. That might be Intel's focus is seeding these parts out to like your Dells and mm. the digital storms and all of those. All the, all the SIs. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, to be honest, uh, the original, what, Ryzen 2 or Ryzen 3 launch, where it was much easier to buy a system. Yeah. Strip out the CPU and build your own afterwards because it was literally the only way to get your hands on one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what I, we encountered when we were trying to get yeah. a 3950X. And uh, we, I had I it in my cart more than once to yeah, just we were, buy an Alienware to get it. But yeah, and then we ended up finding availability uh, thanks to one of our readers. I apologize that I can't recall who sent us there, but um, the Silicon Lottery uh, web store. Oh yeah, and we had one, and so we pulled the trigger on that. But yeah, we were as somebody as, as a site that didn't get sampled, uh, we were desperately trying to find one, uh, and now you can pretty much get them anywhere. But uh, oh, so overall, I guess. Uh, an interesting, you know, it's, it's, it's not as bad in the thermals as we had anticipated, which is, which is really good news. And Intel should be applauded for that as a platform. It brings good things like 2.5 gig ethernet built in, uh, and uh, Wi-Fi six, and it's got good USB controllers and, you know, it's a, it's a stable platform, uh, and it performs very well, even if it uses a lot of power. But the question is, you know, what do you do? What do you, do you upgrade? Uh, I saw somebody on Reddit, I think, I believe unironically asking if they should upgrade from their 9900K to a 10900K. Yes. It's like, yes. Mm. I mean, unless, unless you just are very wealthy and don't have any concerns about spending money, my, my God, no, 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 no. Right. Don't, this is a set money on fire. Yeah, this is a Get great that new uh, memory frequency along with that new motherboard and the new chip. <clears throat> yeah. So if you're into that, fine. But no, for, this is uh, an option if you want to stick with Intel, if you're gaming first and you're gaming at those low resolutions, because as we've talked about, 
at higher resolutions that you're more likely to game at, the CPU advantage goes away for Intel. But if, if that's your thing, then uh, go for it. But also, I mean, Zen 3 is coming. Uh, latest rumors points to end of September. So yeah, if you can wait a little bit, it would be probably worth it. It would allow Intel to get supply into the channel. So when you do want to buy, you'd have something to buy. Uh, and it allows us to see what AMD is going to have in store uh, because they're promising some pretty big IPC improvements as well for Zen 3. So I, 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 if you need something right now today and Intel works for you, it's, it, it, it's good to see that the prices have stayed relatively competitive thanks to that pressure from AMD. And I, I don't think we're going to have any problems like we've seen with Ajisa stuff on AMD's side. I think this is probably going to be a very solid, mature platform that you can count on. Yeah. I, They've had some experience with it. And plus, aren't the BIOS sizes on Intel boards typically, at least on the higher end, much larger? I, I want to say You had that, to go there, didn't you? Yeah, you mean well, the, the, the BIOS chip storage? Yeah, like yeah. The, the actual... Yeah, they're, they're, they're 32s. On the board. There's yeah. a 16 megabyte uh chip on these rog boards it's so big they actually have some of the drivers or at least installers for them on the motherboard believe it or not oh. if you clean install windows on one of these and have never connected it to the internet you will already have a system process running and uh like asking you to download their uh software and I, I read about this and I was reading like some forum posts and I was like, oh yeah, that's actually right there on the uh, ROM and it loads into the operating system at boot. And here are the steps you have to take to disable it. And it's really just like one toggle in the BIOS. So if you know about it and don't want the software or the reminder for the software, you actually have to disable it in the UEFI setup before you install Windows or it will actually, like a virus, go in there and load itself. I was going to say, that's, that's never gone poorly for companies no, before. No, no, Thunderbolt. No, Thunderbolt, Thunders. But, no. That will but support this is what they system. can do. No, they have all this extra room. If you're on Intel, it's like, uh, what do I do with this ROM? I, I guess we could put drivers exactly. on there, I guess. But on the AMD side, it's we don't have enough space for two generations of processors, guys. I'm sorry. We're going to have to let one of them go. In fact, we're going to have to let two of them go. Because the third one takes up more All space many. than the other two combined. But we're getting ahead of, of ourselves here. Well, no, let's. I guess let's just jump into that story uh, anyway. So yeah. as we're talking about, obviously, we've mentioned uh, in previous weeks, there's been some controversy here because of B450 support for Zen 3. Uh, B450 is, is last year's mid-range AMD board. But of course, AMD has been, the, this, as opposed to Intel, which is very much stuck on a one processor, one platform uh, system AMD and the AM4 socket has uh, promised broad support and and pretty much you can buy uh, 370, 470, 570 board and run your all your processors uh, on on any board. But as we saw when they announced B550, they also announced that Zen 3 would not go to B450. So Zen 3 coming or X470 for that X, matter, right? Um, and and that was. A lot of people felt that AMD had lied or misled them. Uh, I I don't believe they ever said that it would be on this that this chipset would support this processor, this architecture. Well, MSI did. Yeah, some motherboard manufacturers did make statements like that. But in can general, I draw they... can I draw your attention briefly to the slide that I used as the header image for the news post, which mm -hmm. was taken Ooh. from AMD's press kit for the spring update this year. 
And it's, yep. it's as AMD, Rocket AM4, a legacy of trust and performance. It talks about the four, PCIe 4.0 and unlocked longevity from 2016 to 2020 plus. Well, That's a real again, legacy of trust, people. They had they had been talking about AM4 Trusty. as this. Uh, this was something that was talked to us. Uh, they they spoke about this at E3 last year when we had our little breakout sessions with the engineering team. And they were talking about how AM4, they were committed to AM4. They were proud of the fact that they had like four generations on AM4. But they did kind of like in our actual sessions when we were talking to some of the engineering team, uh, they were like, yeah, there are going to be, you know, going forward, we are eventually going to have to move to another platform because we need to be able to support things like DDR5 and, you know, other features and things that we want to do with the processors. We, we won't be able to stick with this forever. But for the time being, for this generation and for next generation, we will be on this socket. So then when this news broke that they were essentially dropping support for 400, 400 series boards, There's, it's a very technical issue. It it's it's not like they're making a choice to force people to buy a new chipset board. There are problems with implementing the required AGISA code, something that everybody's going to have to familiar the, familiarize themselves with. If you don't know what a GISA code is, is this large chunk of data that has to reside on your motherboard's ROM chip. And if there isn't enough physical space for it with the way that these or size and with the way that the partitions are, uh, I, I I don't know if, honestly if it's if it's just a straight up size limit or if sometimes it's actually a partition size limit. But uh, regardless, it's it's both not, actually. There's not enough space physically on the chip. And do you think a BIOS? Do you think a motherboard manufacturer back when Zen first came out, like a, a 300 series board? or even a foreign series board from a year or two ago is going to like, if they were not informed, if AMD didn't say, Hey vendors, you need to spend the extra money on a larger chip. It's going to maybe increase the cost of these boards by a few bucks, but to be forward thinking Zen three is coming in 2020. We need you to be ready. We need you to double the ROM size. That did not happen. I don't think these motherboard vendors honestly knew about it. Just the brief interaction I had with somebody closer to the engineering team from one of these vendors last year leading up to the Zen 2 launch, I was having an issue with the board and they were basically kind of off the record. Like, you know, uh, there was actually an issue with us getting the proper schematics. Like we didn't know about this one resistor and it's just electrically incompatible and I had to be sent another motherboard. So there's sometimes a communication issue. I don't think these board vendors knew that this was going to be an issue down the road. AMD also, you want to investigate a GISA code, and we're, we've gone from the launch of Zen 2 was on a GISA 1.0.0.2. We're up to 1.0.0.5, and they don't have release notes to accompany these. There are certain things that you can find from another board vendor as far as changes that have been made, enhancements, um, memory compatibility. They've changed... Uh, voltages they've changed boost behavior with this so there's a tremendous amount that goes into each of these updates and they're large so it's it's not like 
you know, Asus and MSI and ASRock and Gigabyte are, are trying to screw consumers or that AMD is trying to screw consumers. It was a physical limitation that there's only one way to overcome it. And that's what this post is about, that their reversal post on Reddit, where they talk about how they've decided to once again enable support for Zen 3 on B450 and X470, but it's it's messy at best. It Look at these bullet points. For what you learned it involved. here, kids. If you want something, whine on the internet and it will happen. On Reddit specifically, actually. It wasn't just Reddit. It was Twitter That's true. and Facebook. YouTube videos and, and things of that nature. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll also uh, say real quick, too, because uh, I know we, we went over a lot of the reasons why it wasn't going to happen on the last show. But uh, all the, the counterpoints I saw from people who were arguing against AMD's position were... First of all, some motherboard manufacturers, and in fact, I saw some people trying to tally it up. A lot of them could have supported it. And that one uh, suggestion was that some manufacturers didn't want to. And rather than having a, a, a what's the word, a, a divided marketplace uh, and confusion, AMD decided, well, let's just cancel it. If, if we can't get everybody to be on board, let's just not go f- go through with it. Uh, and then I, I and just to mention that that one company that was suggested to be Asus was the one who was holding out. Um, hmm. But then also because B550 launched so late, so far after uh, X570, people who were buying those mid-range boards were going with a B450. Now, maybe if you went and bought a 3900X and you put it on a 450 board, you're not likely to upgrade to Zen 3, the Ryzen 4000. But some people, some people might have, and some people would have, gone and gotten a 2000 series processor because we even we've said that we said because of all this great support you can buy a cheap processor now and upgrade later without having to replace anything so i can understand the the reasons behind how people or the reasons why people were upset about this but as sebastian said yes this is going to be a messy process there's there's going to be uh it's a one-way path they've said you know this is what they've said we can we'll, we'll see if that actually happens in practice but it'll be a one-way upgrade it's they're going to verify that you own both the B450 board or X470 board and the uh, Ryzen 4000 Zen 3 processor. So I don't know exactly how they're going to do that yet, but they're going to, it's going to be some sort of verification there. And they're going to deliver you this this uh, uh, new BIOS, the Flash. And it's not clear what the, the process is. Like, well, you need a, a, a Ryzen 3000 processor in there to flash the board. Uh, in which case, so they're going to have to do that sort of upgrade thing where they mail you a loaner CPU ahead of time that's compatible mm-hmm. to boot it up. So, yeah, we we, we did it. We won. But it is going to be a, a confusing, uh, complicated process, unfortunately. Would, would you call it a Pyrrhic victory? I'm going to spend more time and money getting my yeah. $100 B450 board to accept this higher-end Zen 3 then really it was worth to get a B550. Well, if it hot saves you a couple hot, hundred bucks. You're, yeah. If, you're, if well, you're going to Zen 3, okay, Zen 2 already supports PCIe Gen 4. If you're moving all the way up to Zen 3 from Zen 2 on the same older board that doesn't support it, at what point does that feature just not even matter to you? Some of the advanced features that these processors are going to be able to provide are not necessarily going to be available to you if you're on an older platform. So if it's literally just, I just want the faster CPU. What if it's ten hey, percent faster? Andy lied. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I am. My my uh, 
My upgrade path died. That's all it is. <laughs> I love it. You're still bitter you lost your PCIe 4.0 support. Yeah, on my X470, sure. Yeah. The board could have handled it perfectly fine, but then they, uh, yeah, you want you want better performance and better AGISA? Well, you're going to have to sacrifice something. You know, that's yeah. something they did not back down on because that was very unpopular. Yeah. And they made that announcement. That was one of those community updates where they said, we're dropping support for PCIe Gen 4 on pre 500 series motherboards. Sorry, basically. And they explain why, and it's a technical issue, it was a signaling issue. It wasn't, it was that some boards absolutely could support it, but not all. So then mm-hmm. it would create fragmentation. Well, guess what? You're creating, Ouch. and by the way, check off that bingo uh, square for the angry rant, if there is one. I think there is. It depends on the version you're looking at for PC per podcast bingo, by the way. Check at least for one more information. But yep. uh, yeah, they, they're, this is going to fragment the market. Because then there's because to do this, you have to wait. You have to find out if your motherboard vendor is going to support it for your specific motherboard model and probably revision number of that model. And then if they are, okay, then I can go out and buy the processor. Because if they're not going to support it and you buy the CPU, it's not going to work until you get that beta BIOS update when you get it. And they did not promise it would be at the same time. You may be waiting for a beta BIOS long after the launch. They they said they're going to work with the motherboard vendors to create these updates. They said they will develop and enable motherboard partners with the code to support Gen 3 based processors in select beta BIOSes for AMD B450 and X470 motherboards. But in so doing, say you you get this beta BIOS. You're one of the lucky people who have a board that will support these. Then... When you flash it, you're gonna. There is a huge red flag here. It is you can never go back. If you think that you're gonna donate this board to somebody else down the line and give them your, you know, Ryzen three thousand part with it, or you know, imagine trying to sell this thing on eBay later. Say, yeah, I ended up getting a X five seventy board. Here's my four seventy, but I flashed it. So even though it's a four seventy, you can only use it with a Zen three processor, not a Zen two. The secondary market is basically dead for those boards at that point because there is no way to go back, apparently. I don't know if a BIOS flashback like one of the USB base flashes will work because there are certain boards where you can you can flash back the BIOS even without a CPU or RAM installed. I've actually done well, that Well, you can always pull the chip. Oh, but, maybe. But you'd need a desolder. Yeah, oh, oh there those bastards are soldering them kind on of there. Yeah, they are now. I still have an old uh, puller that I used to use I, when things I hate went to horribly, this, horribly wrong. I think, I think I actually have a BIOS chip within arm's reach here. But I, we don't have to go down that road. Um, yeah, it might the, be about right there. I mean, it is it's nice to another square on the bingo time. card, by the way, really close. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> All right, Wait, so anyway, is. let's... Uh, Sebastian, we'll along. Ship. Yeah, we'll... we'll uh, I've, I've got a... a uh, uh, BIOS. Oh, those are old ones. Oh. The These are for a 386, yep. but anyway. All right. So they used, they used to be socketed. So the, the, if you were upset about this, if this was going to affect you, there there looks like there will be a remedy uh, potentially, again, depending on your motherboard manufacturer support. But so stay, stay tuned. Uh, there, there's more to come on this. Uh, As Jim desperately tries to move this hour and a half long podcast, podcast along. Two stories in. Jeez. Uh, I know. Right, well, we just. Yeah. Let's move on. So let's turn back to Intel for a second. So uh, 
Intel, obviously, uh, they say what you will about Intel, but they've got great networking. And uh, another company that we've covered a lot is Rivet Networks. They uh, own the uh, killer brand of networking, and they've partnered with Intel in the past. They, they were formerly owned yep. by Qualcomm. Uh, lately, they've been partnering with Intel for both wireless and wired Ethernet uh, or, uh, products. And just today, Intel announced that they have acquired Rivet. Uh, the details were not disclosed. So we don't know the pricing or the terms, uh, but they've uh, gone and bought them. And so uh, expect to see, uh, I assume that they're going to continue to push uh, killer products. Actually, I don't know if they'll kill. Yep, they said, they said they were oh, there. Okay. They took over Brilliant the brand products. as well. So Right. I, mean, I just don't know if they'll if down the road they'd want to stick with that brand or if they try to in, in, incorporate the software side of killer into their own products for things like prioritization and, and network. Apparently so the, the, the press release goes into that a little bit, but it does sound like they specifically acquired the killer brand and the software. I mean, they bought the whole company, but they have all the IP. So we could very well be seeing like a new enhanced Intel gaming uh, network control center or something with prioritization. Yeah. And the the best killer products of the last year and a half have been Intel hardware. So, well, yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, Intel uh, bought up uh, McAfee, and uh, we had killer mm-hmm. software development based on Intel buying McAfee. <laughs> no, yeah, no. That, was he ever convicted? So was, was that? I thought that was just a rumor. not yet. He he left he the country. Just, yeah, didn't he? somewhere yeah. in the jungle. Yeah, so he's fine. Okay. Well, anyway, and still making let's, commercials. Let's continue still experimenting with insane uh, mental stimulation and mind-altering yeah, jokes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Better living through chemistry. Yeah. All right. Back to he's uh, modding his brain. <laughs> yes, to tease yes. somebody. You can't, you can't stop the signal. You can't. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, real quick, also here we've got another story. Uh, Corsair. Uh, they've come out with uh, they're you know they're constantly pushing memory uh capacities and speeds they've come out with uh, a new vengeance uh it's the vengeance lpx ddr4 5000 so it's a 5000 megahertz rated uh kit it's pricey you're gonna pay for it it's a thousand dollars for a 16 gig dual channel kit whoa uh, mm-hmm. and the and the timings aren't wow. aren't great i mean they're, they're those are those are fast but, but jim for those speeds I, that's, I, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's five megahertz yeah, so the timings are twenty six. Yeah. I mean, that's not, but you have to just factor. Like I've been testing with sixteen, eighteen, eighteen, thirty six, and that's only at thirty two hundred. So okay, to only so, move up to eighteen, twenty six, twenty six, forty six at five thousand is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now the the reason we brought this up too is that uh, Tech Power Up got a uh, they tested this kit and they tested it with Ryzen in mind because. As we've talked about, the memory frequency is crucial for Ryzen, and, and higher is not always necessarily better. Uh, you kind of want to dial it in uh, to the F clock uh, frequency, and that would equal 3600 megahertz. And so if you go above that, the question becomes, can you overcome any latency deficiencies from a, mitch, a mismatch by just pumping that memory frequency up? And uh, they looked into it and, and found that uh, potentially you can. Uh, Jeremy, tell us... Uh, Tell us what, what's going on with the tech power up review. This well, I mean, you you can that in that you know it taught the charts by a good percent. Uh, but see the, the the theory behind it is that uh, when they ran it at uh, DDR four four five thousand, which straight out booted uh, XMP enabled, which is 
brilliant for, uh, you know, if you've played with Ryzen and sometimes it doesn't like your memory and it becomes an interesting little wrestling match. But in this case, boom, boot it up, no problem. So the, the front side bus to DRAM ratio or well, the infinity fabric to was three to 75. So it's even, it's not some sort of a wacky divider that you have that is just really, really hard to deal with. And it looks brilliant. But honestly, and you're looking at the charts and the video and you, you, you sort of heard my uh, comment on the audio is that often it's being beaten by 3600 megahertz RAM with tighter timings. So that it, it's still a fact that, you know, it, when you uncouple the RAM frequency from that infinity fabric, it just Ryzen don't like it very much. Now on the flip side, it runs at 5,000, so you drop it down to 3,600. You tighten the timings. They tightened it to 1818, 1843. Not too shabby. All of a sudden, it was performing better than it was at 5,000 megahertz. It was performing better than the 3,600 megahertz kits that they were trying. So, yes, you, you can actually get some amazing uh, performance out of it. And like you look at the memory latency, it goes from, you know, 7.25 nanoseconds down to 68.3. The memory copy isn't so great. The write isn't so great, but the read jumps uh, from, you know, 48,702 megabytes a second to over 5,200 or 52,000 rather. Sorry. So you can do it, but you're paying a thousand bucks for two, eight gig dims. If you need the absolute fastest that this will do it, it's, it's kind of silly and you've still got uh, G skill that there's, I mean, we saw the Trident Z at what was it? Uh, 5,200 megahertz uh, at the last CES still hasn't launched. You still can't find it anywhere. It's also because these are the very pretty ones that they do uh, with the, uh, the crystalline tops. I think they, Oh, actually sent Lord. me an email today. I didn't get to take a look at, uh, but apparently they're going faster than this, but you, you still, you can't find them. And there's a part of it is because yes, it is the fastest on the planet. It's a thousand, thousand dollars for 16 gigs of RAM. And, and hey, you're not going to ever get that. Wouldn't you pay a little extra for the fastest car on the planet? I mean, there's this premium premium attached to this. Yeah, my Mazda, my Mazda three is probably better price performance than a Ferrari, but it's not going to beat a Ferrari. Let's not even talk about an RX seven. Maybe if it was an RX seven, it would be. You can't uh, tell the girls about your head turning memory timings. It doesn't work. It's true. I don't think they really care. You don't hang out with my crowd. Yeah, you haven't (laughs) found the right girl, Brett. You know, you're right. I haven't about found that. the right guy who, like, I guess I could talk to Jeremy about memory. I used to think it was cool to benchmark memory, but I mean, look at where that. Yeah, and then you started doing it, didn't you? I know. And then it's it became awesome. just tedious. <laughs> tedious. Ever. Painful. Tedious. The right. real world implication of fast RAM outside of It the was whole, an incredibly uh, awful, thing. boring meeting that inspired this long post about the memory, by the way. Because actually, by the time I finished, I'm like, Holy crap, I can't believe I wrote that much. Hey, and you know what, though? Oh, right, because I wasn't wanting to pay attention to this. Wait, wait. No RGBs. That Vengeance LPX I don't think I broke the... RGB-free. Yeah, it is Corsair. Uh, although Corsair does RGBs pretty well. 
their Capellic yeah, stuff yep. on the Dominator yeah, RGB that's the looks one. pretty classy. Yep. So, but all right, well, check that out if you if, if you have the money to burn and you can find a, a configuration that works for you where it makes sense. Uh, Five thousand megahertz memory, at least until that G skill stuff eventually shows up at fifty two. Uh, but then it'll uh, be better. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a just double checking? There isn't a oh uh, no because I you know sorry Frank I, I didn't look at the the DDR4 uh, memory post that you you sent me today. Uh, but yeah, so this is a DDR4 5000 as well. Okay. What's that? Uh, G Skill. Uh, oh, the G Skill. Uh, yeah, okay. the the Trident C. They just released a, a new update uh, today. Which a All DDR4 right. 4400 at CL17. Something like seventeen, eighteen, eighteen, thirty-eight. That's real good on a nine, nine, ten, nine hundred K. That's a, more sub timing talk coming. Now or three, by the way. Yeah, I yeah. have to look at that again. It's tomorrow. riveting. It's riveting. You're going to want to take notes out there. Right. You know that Intel uh, killer news was riveting. He heard too. me talking. He just sent me another one. DDR four six 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 six. Whoa. That's big. This wow. is big. You heard it here first, folks, if you're okay, watching live. Okay, there you go. That's under NDA. Check the embargo date on that, Oh, yeah, wait, Jesus, Jeremy. You, you got to lead out with the embargo date, or, you know, you just sent me an email, man. I'm sorry. Whoops. And no, there isn't anything. This is. I tend uh, this not is to a, read uh, my PC yeah. email live. Yeah, not a good idea. You. Not a good idea. No, yeah, well, I'm just kidding. Right I saw it. Stream of consciousness kind of oh, thing. Okay. Before okay. we lose Josh, let us He's, finish this show. I thought he passed out. He's still here? Uh, he 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 regained consciousness. But, He's in a uh, slight coma. All right. So uh, if you guys recall, uh, earlier this year, Samsung launched the latest line of their T-series SSDs. These are these portable, uh, real thin and light uh, USB external drives. And uh, the big thing with the T7, uh, which was the new one this year, was that it was, there was two things. It was NVMe and USB 3.2 Gen 2, so 1,000 megabyte per second uh, transfers. And it had a, a fingerprint sensor. It was called the T7 Touch. And it worked really well. We reviewed it a couple months ago. Uh, the fingerprint sensor was responsive. The drive performed well. Uh, a really nice little product. But it was pricier than competing drives in that same performance class because of that fingerprint sensor. And uh, Samsung promised at the time that they were going to come out with a, a non-touch, just the standard Samsung T7. And that's what they did uh, just uh, yesterday. Uh, they launched it. It's available in 500 gigabyte uh, one terabyte and two terabyte capacities, and that's uh, one ten hundred and ten dollars for the five hundred, uh, two hundred for the one terabyte, and three seventy for the two terabyte. And you get your choice of colors. There's red, blue, and gray, and uh, it's it's identical. So go back and read our review of the Touch. Everything else about it is identical in terms of speed and design uh, size. Uh, just that just it doesn't have that that fingerprint sensor. So you're saving twenty to thirty dollars depending on the model, and that does put it into the uh, price range of its competing NVMe external SSDs. So uh, just a great uh, option if you want something like that, if you need something uh, fast and portable, but don't need the the fingerprint. Uh, you can still secure it with software and passwords. It just doesn't have the fingerprint stuff. Oh, I'm, I'm loving the uh, caption this still in our yeah. Discord right now. It's great. <laughs> All right. And uh, looks like uh, our, the folks over at Ars Technica... A attempted to answer uh, the age-old question of ZFS versus RAID, and uh, Jeremy found that story for us and wrote us up, wrote it up for us. So, what did they find when they're looking at, when you're looking at Linux and you're looking to build an, an array, a storage array? 
ZFS versus uh, traditional RAID? What's the uh, answer, Jeremy? Holy crap, it's a lot faster. And not just a little. If if you really are serious about storage, like uh, our dear departed Alan, who's just no longer with us, he's still with us. Uh, you know, the, the, the difference between these are utter night and day. It, it's utter... It's not really even a comparison when when you look at it. It the, there's a very steep learning curve. Uh, you, you, it's it's not quite the same as a plug and play raid, and there's a lot of different versions. You have like uh, Ars Technica pointed out that uh, the the version that they're using is roughly two years old. Uh, it's not the latest and greatest, but when you look at just the the utter performance of it, there's no question. Uh, they, they slap this with uh, some Seagate Ironwolf hard disk drives. They they avoided uh, Western Digital for this for some reason, and uh, you know paired it with an LSI 9308i uh, to do the rating. So it's not software; it's completely and totally hardware. They ran it uh, with 4K and one meg block sizes, uh, a variety of I/O depths, just so that you could see how everything works, and you know, even when you're looking at RAID 10, it, it just blows it out of the water. The, 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 there is, is it's, it's utter and complete craziness. You, you, you really want to take a look through it because there, there are certain instances where you're, you're going to find a swap in the performance, but for the most part, you know, it's just, not gonna it's not gonna compare and if you've never really encountered uh this before uh zfs is more than just a raid manager it's your file system it's the the logical volume manager it's everything all in one and if you've got everything set up right you take eight discs you plug it in and in under 30 seconds it's built done configured and saying hey you know if if you want to throw some more discs in, go right ahead i'm good for you even RAID 10 isn't quite that forgiving. So it's very interesting if you're in, if you're looking at uh, building your own sort of a uh, free NAS system, uh, if, you, if you're looking at a Plex server, if you're looking at just, you know, digging around and saving everyone's files for miles around. Take a peek at it. And uh, that's, that's the uh, very in-depth article by Jim Salter over at uh, Ars Technica. We'll have a link to that. Uh, we'll have a link to pretty much everything we mentioned in the show notes. So. Be sure to check that out. I, I've never, I, I'm, I'm well aware of the advantages of ZFS, but I can never, uh, I'm not technical enough to use it. I'm afraid I, I got, a, I got a, a couple mirrored pools set up once, but then something went wrong and I didn't know the command lines to fix it. So that's, that's where that ended. Yeah. If you want a GUI, then yeah, go back to raid. It's, it's going to be a little better for you or storage spaces. Yep. Uh, Brett, do you have any thoughts on ZFS? Uh, Seems something up yeah, if you want to be leaked, you should, you should go. You should go. Z, you should go ZFS <laughs> command line. It's nothing to be a scared. It's nothing to be uh, scared ah. of. You should. You should just embrace the command line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of command, your inner Linux. If you, if you want, and they haven't deprecated com- them all in Linux either, which is nice. <laughs> exactly. Which is a beautiful segue, Jim. You're you're welcome. And thank yeah. you very much. Um, so speaking of command lines, uh, if you want to use one in Windows, the new Windows terminal is here. It's been a year. It was last May, I think it was, May 2019, where they first teased the new terminal. And they you know, they had a very slick little trailer. And uh, 
it's uh, very exciting and uh, it's been in beta and now it's stable and you can go get it from the Windows store. So it brings uh, no. tabs. What's that? No, <laughs> no. And, you know, and that that leading. This is image, the only thing I would even like, consider going to the Windows store for. But no. Well, <laughs> it almost looks ray trace in that first picture. But uh, yeah, well, that's that's from a trailer. Um, oh, okay. That they made it. It's so it's not quite this slick. It doesn't. You know, that gives it some three dimensionality. It does have it's not a, even a real light. Uh, right. It, it does have new uh, styling options. So you can do sort of like a, a, a translucent uh, blurred window and you can style your text and the text expand or the text uh, uh, rendering is improved as GPU acceleration for the text rendering. Uh, but you, it brings uh, all kinds of stuff that's been long absent from Windows uh, in the command line. It's, it's tabs, uh, the ability to open uh, you know, traditional command prompts alongside PowerShell, alongside Windows subsystem for Linux stuff. Uh, it's got multiple. Um, multiple panes split panes uh better zooming the here's that background if you're watching the video you can see that it gives you some some optional ways to style it to your liking so uh, a lot of interesting uh, uh features there that you can you can uh, pick up and then you as that's what? it's almost as good as the stock mac terminal now wow uh, it's better uh, oh, the, is that allowed i didn't i didn't mean i didn't mean to say that <laughs> but uh as yeah. despite jeremy's objections you can go to the windows store here and you can get it. Uh, it's it's free, obviously. It's but they're distributing it through the Windows Store, so uh, we'll have a link to that as well. Uh, okay, uh, final story, uh, real quick here. Uh, we mentioned Plex a minute ago in terms of you know what you might want to use a ZFS ZFS based array for, but uh, Plex has a new feature out just today, and it's uh, it's a Plex Pass feature, so it is limited in how you can use it. But if you have a Plex Pass. They've introduced automatic uh, intro skipping. This is something obviously you've seen if you've used something like uh, a Netflix, uh, but they're bringing this to your own local library. Uh, so it's it's uh, enabled in the uh, the Plex uh, Media Server, the latest version. Uh, you may have to restart your server. Uh, I, I had to restart it to see get this to show up in the in the uh, uh, options. But basically, you go into your settings and enable it, and then it. Uh, goes through and does an audio uh, heuristic analysis. And because it knows what show it is, it knows what to look for in terms of an audio cue. And then that guesses as to where the intro is. And then you'll get a little skip intro button uh, so that uh, you can, if you're binging a show, you don't have to, uh, you know, sit through the 90 second intro every episode. Uh, so very handy there. And uh, I've only started the analysis on my library. I haven't had a chance to really test it yet, but uh, initial reports I've seen on on the Reddit, the Plex subreddit, were pretty positive. And uh, but again, it's it's you have to have a Plex server on the server side and on the client side. Uh, so you have to. It's going to be it's something if you have a server for your friends, they're going to have to have Plex Pass to use this. Uh, but uh, check out the support article, see all the details. Picks of the week, okay. Picks of the week. I'll start. This is a um, a video I found of somebody who uh, had a little uh, cabin fever with all the quarantining. So he sat down and decided to record uh, video capture the installation and upgrade of every Windows version going all the way back to 1.0. And when I say every Windows version, I'm not talking like, because we've seen before, like all the major versions, you know, going from XP to me to whatever, or me to XP or whatever. Uh, no, he went every version, including developer releases, betas. Uh, there's <laughs> dozens or hundreds wow. here. Uh, of oh, all man, of I, the I bills. still remember when Windows 95 was was codenamed Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Windows, Windows Chicago. 
and he uh he records himself going before through Vista was what Seattle? Uh Memphis uh Whistler Whistler Longhorn. Here. wasn't Vista Longhorn or was Longhorn 7? Uh, Longhorn, Longhorn, Longhorn Vista. Vista. Longhorn 7. 7. Yeah. yeah. But uh, this is a two-hour video, two hours and three minutes, and it's highly sped up because it took, I think he said 200 hours or something to put this all together. Where's uh, the real-time version? Well, you can just uh, download it. I guess you can slow watch it at slower speed. Yeah, it's okay. it, it starts slowly but gets faster over years. <laughs> yes. Um, so <laughs> if you're interested in seeing what the interfaces looked like and the installation process, uh, it's an interesting little... Uh, a piece of history there and then of course if you want to get these um some a lot of these older uh builds like beta builds and developer releases are available at a uh, website called winworld and uh, you can cut over there and, and grab all it's all the older stuff but there's lots of uh like you know windows 2000 and there's different betas and release candidates that you can download uh, so if you want to emulate this yourself or if you want to uh uh run an old version for some reason you can grab a lot of them there uh, okay, Josh, uh, what have you got for us for your pick? Considering availability of Intel CPUs, if you're just been waiting, just get an R9 3900X. It's, it's 400 bucks. You know, after special, you can find them. It's just a really good processor for what you get. It just, I wouldn't really consider getting a, uh, a 3950 unless you really could utilize those extra threads because your boost clocks are essentially all the same. And so in, you know, gaming and other stuff like that, you're, you're, you're doing well. And, um, you know, I would, I would do the 3,600 X, but new eggs sold out on those. So there's been a run lately. And when you look at the, uh, you know, Sebastian's review, you kind of look at that particular processor and how well it does throughout pretty much everything, and for the price you can get it for, usually around one hundred ninety nine bucks to two hundred nine. Uh, that's that's a solid build. But anyway, yeah, yeah, no. If you've been holding out and, and saving all of your all of your pennies, uh, you know the thirty nine hundred X is going to last you a very long time. All right, uh, Jeremy, what's your pick? I well, out of desperation again, because bloody hell, there's nothing to recently uh is a wonderful website that uh i've known about for a very long time back when it was actually free to stream their music as opposed to uh, a relatively inexpensive yearly membership but wolfgang's vault is spotify for us of a, of a certain age it's uh an insane guy who used to tour or do uh, sound for a immense amount of people and so he was doing bootleg copies off of the soundboard. He then, you know, through his friends, also did bootlegs off of the soundboard and has eventually had to go, you know, official, uh, hence the, the cost. But if you take a look through the list of concerts that are available, it is insane. It, sp it spans from the 50s until today. Not every single performer that you've loved has signed up with them to say it's okay, but the vast majority of them have. I, I think at last count, he was up to about 14,000 artists, each with numerous uh, live concerts that you can sit there and listen to 
as long as you feel like. They also do uh, channels, uh, hence the Spotify reference, where if you want to listen to their blues, if you want to listen to country, if you want to listen to rock, if you want to listen to early rock, if you want to listen to crossover bluegrass rock, it's all there. It's utterly and completely amazing. And if you're old enough to remember a lot of these people, or to be honest, if you're young and just, you know, want to find out where everything came from, it's so friggin' worth it. If you want old concert memorabilia, he's got the original posters from like Jimi Hendrix experience. He's got original shirts from the band tour. It, it's, it's utterly ridiculous and you really should check it out. Even, even if all you're doing is picking up a couple of bits of memorabilia, but honestly, it's, it's seriously, it's, it's for the music. All right. So that's I was more I'm... excited about Big Head Todd and the Monsters when I saw it up there, hey, actually. There. So. I know, that's, they are that's, there. Uh, Wolfgangs, wolfgangs.com, and the uh, subscription is $3.99 a month for the concert audio. So that's not too bad if that's yeah. uh, your thing. Yeah, it's, it's cheaper if you buy the whole year. Oh, right, right. Yeah. The more uh, you buy, the more you save. Just had to throw that in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, All you need to know about me is that when you were scrolling, the thing that caught my eye was like, ooh, a 1989 Robert Gray concert. I'd listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, good uh, one. So, Sebastian, yeah. I've got your pick in here. What have you got for yes. me? Yes. Well, so we were talking about the uh, Windows upgrade experience. What about the Microsoft Office floppy experience? Ooh. So, if there's a YouTuber who goes by Tech Tangents now, formerly Ekbakuku, and he did this video a while back. It was actually a couple of years ago now where he literally installs Microsoft office 1997 on a gateway 2000 laptop, one floppy at a time in real time for your enjoyment. So if you're bored or if you just want to go to sleep tonight to the sound of a floppy installation of office, definitely check it out because you know, awesome. we don't all have these fancy newfangled CD-ROM drives on our computers. So well, actually, most of us do not have CD-ROM driving our computer anymore. Hey, you know. Yeah, it's rare. It's so rare, just like it once was. One in each system. And uh, in I had no idea. In the... or 99, the IT guys at my hospital actually did a Windows 95 or 98 install on three-and-a-half-inch floppies. They had three stacks, at, at least 35 to 40 floppies. <laughs> you had to do if you were going to install the entire thing. It just is it's ludicrous, but it's funny. Yep. Anyway. And uh, I had no idea. I used to watch the uh, Akabuku, however it's pronounced. I didn't know he changed his name. So uh, you're muted. Muted. He said he was trying, trying to explain it to people and how to spell it because he started going to more like shows and events. And he's like, I'm. Ek Bukuku, which was literally a name he came up with once when he had to create a username and he just randomly uh, selected letters and that's what he came up with. So, so he misspelled head desk. Yeah, so it's uh, it's good stuff. Check it out. Tech, tech it, tangents, very good channel. Yes. And uh, I guess I haven't uh, checked in with him in a while. I didn't realize. Um, all right, Brett, you've got the last pick for us. 
Sure. Uh, so if we were properly shilling at this point or someplace during the podcast, we would have talked about the iFixit toolkit that you should go and buy. But instead, everybody's got what they call uh, a Walmart in their hometown. So stick this in your backpack and uh, just go go get one of these. It's, uh, you know, useful for when you're at your in-law's house, uh, when you're uh, hanging out at your buddy's place or whatever. It's got every freaking kit uh bit in it, tri-wing, tiny little triple quad uh, Phillips, and very small six-point six and, and hex and all that for taking apart laptops, and and it's got plastic and magnetic magnetization and sucker pieces, and it's 13 bucks. For God's sakes, go put one in your backpack and carry it with you everywhere you go. Where's Enjoy. the tweezers? Tweezers? It's in there. Metal tweezers, man. Okay. That's right. I'm pointing at them. It's right there. You can't see it. Right over there. Right there. Right up this side. Yeah, right over there. Mm. Anyway, I got a couple of them. They're 13 bucks, and they take apart laptops when you need to change memory or pull something out or you know whatever. And and they're always useful when you go to your in-law's house, when anybody asks you suddenly to say, hey, there's something wrong with my computer. Can you take a look at it? And you're like, okay, whatever. I just constantly wish I'm wearing the I will not work on your computer shirt. Otherwise, I'm kind of obliged to do it. Well, now you can. Now, if you distancing. really want something, my old dear departed friend was a printer. And oh, yeah. And there are some bizarre proprietary things in this one. <laughs> I've well, actually this- noticed that the old Ford, uh, you know, the, the, the Ford proprietary screwdriver? Or a head, rather? Not sure. It's a, it's in here. I don't know. I, this, I, this one's got uh, this one, my this mom's Ford Taurus to get in. This one's got two two pins that stick out. It's got a triangle. It's got tri wing star bit six point with a with the the security bit in it with the hole in the oh, middle. Nice. With the pin, Can you open up a Nintendo cartridge with these bits. You know, yep. I'm positive you. Could. Mm, I don't know. I had to buy those separately. All right, so we'll have a link to that. I mean, that's the, the Hyper Tough. It's a 77-piece computer repair kit. Uh, I, an iFixit knockoff for only $14 at <laughs> It sounds dumb. Walmart. Go get one. Yes. <laughs> is, uh, Just is buy it. Still, it. Is it still Just, if you're spending 80 bucks on screwdrivers, you're getting ripped off. I'm sorry. I, yes. That's kind of my point here. Is just buy this, stick it in your backpack, and wherever you go, you're going to go like, I've got a tool for that. Yeah. Lowe's sells one under their Cobalt brand that I bought, which is around $25, I think. But, oh, man, you overpaid. You know, apparently. <laughs> and uh, is it still trendy to trash Walmart PCs on YouTube? Is, yeah. If that's yeah, the case, you can buy your PC and your toolkit one-stop shopping. All right. Yeah. Well, Your toolkit that's required to fix all of the problems with the build in the first place. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay, well, uh, I just heard some noise from upstairs. I think Jensen's waking up and he's coming down, and I'm going to get oh, the hell out of here okay. before that happens. But uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, again, we record these live uh, Wednesdays or Thursdays at 10 p.m. Eastern, 2 a.m. UTC. And uh, we'd love to have you join us live. But if not, you can find the edited on-demand versions of the podcast uh, usually uh, five to six hours after the live stream. I'm getting pretty efficient at getting them all edited uh, pretty quickly. And, and my new upload speed here at the new house works a lot better there. So you can find those at pcper.com slash podcasts. Videos are posted to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash pcper. And uh, we've got the audio version in the RSS feeds at your favorite podcast app. 
So anybody have Jim, a final? Jim, are are we going to are you announcing anything about a Spotify exclusive at this point, or are we still freely available with every uh, podcaster? No, we are not exclusive to any platform. We are on Spotify, although I've had there's a it doesn't seem to update very frequently. I, I submitted it back when they first started doing podcasts. I submitted the RSS feed, and it's always like three weeks behind, and I don't know how to refresh it or force it to. But are they paying us to be on there? <laughs> no, they are not paying. Would you accept any form of uh, deal from Spotify? Yes. What if they offer yes, you a thousand dollars straight up? Oh, absolutely. You want to give me money? I'll do whatever you want. I'm, I've lost, <laughs> I've lost the will to old principles, but no, no one has paid us. We are, uh, we, we remain, um, independent and broke, but we thank you for being here with That's us. What being independent means. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Now that I have the beard, I could do an apology or not an apology video, but, uh, heart-to-heart video about my true feelings for intel mm-hmm. uh, yeah like a like a one of our our, our colleagues has done i say mm-hmm. colleague we're not even in the same ballpark uh, we don't have 10 million followers no. on youtube no we don't. yet yet there's a but, there's a chance but uh yeah but there's options there's options so uh thanks everyone for joining us uh please uh we hope you continue to be well be safe Uh, Take care of yourself and your families, and uh, we hope to see you here next week. Mm